Music has changed. How it makes us feel never will. The time is now to visit mstudios.co.za. Hi, my name is Meg G. It is such an honor to be a part of this great initiative. All thanks to Amp Studios. Amp Studios is a free culture hub facility situated in the heart of downtown Joburg in Newtown with world-class recording studios, co-working spaces, video facilities, a stage, streaming facilities, whatever you want. They've got it and it's all free and designed to help young artists build a career in the music industry. So if you'd like to be a part of the Amp Studios, check out all the masterclasses and content we've created for you. Just go to www.ampstudios.co.za. That's www.ampdstudios.co.za. Or you can send us your name to our WhatsApp line on 081-707-6636. That's 081-707-6636. On this first episode, SA's legend, Slicker, one of the greatest MCs to ever grace the mic, gives us a real insight into the inner workings of the music industry and how he ended up getting there. This is part one of a masterclass he gave at Amp Studios in 2019. Enjoy. I think that, like, you know, just to, just to really talk about the consistency of the underdog, that was really the, the topic, my conversation topic, because um, I'm of the opinion that like, um, the industry never loved me, or maybe the industry doesn't love anybody. You know, In any space that you get into, <clears throat> that you, where you're about to um, try to change the normal conversation, no one is going to love you. So you've got one or two things. You either become mainstream, and that's why they call it mainstream, because, you know, it's the mainstream, like main road. Everybody's on that road. Or you either create your own road, and you become like the underdog, so you go through the passages. And when you go through the passages, mainstream always go, how far is he? We'll see if he'll get there, you know? So... Chances are, every one of us in this industry, we're trying to prove to everyone that like, the ideas we have are something that matters and people want to consume it. So before I get into anything about even talking about music and music business and about money, I've got to literally bring you back to the beginning. And I'm going to use an analogy, right? So I'm going to use an analogy to get you back to the beginning of music. Interesting story about how music commercially started. If you are sitting at home, and this is, this, this is the decision that you have to make. If you are sitting at home, because now we live in the cities, other people live in apartments, so people don't even have small gardens, you know? If you are sitting at home <coughs> and you plant some tomatoes, and you just plant the tomatoes there, and, um, and you literally decide to go, yo, I got some tomatoes, so I don't have to go to Woolworths, checkers, pick and pay to go buy tomatoes. I, I can do it myself, you know, I'm planting the tomatoes. That's literally you just creating because you've got the garden, right? Now take your potential. If you take your potential and you imagine that your potential is the garden, when you create, you write, your potential is the garden. Just remember that your potential is the garden. Now you've got two options. You can take this tomato, 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 tomato you know? 
damn it, damn it, English, you know? You, you, you can take this tomato and you can put it in your kitchen and eat it on your own consistently. Alternatively, you can take this tomato and you can go, hey, I've got the garden, let me go sell it. Now, when you sell it, it comes with a lot of things. You gotta start considering how much are they gonna buy your tomato for in comparison to everyone else that is also selling tomato. You gotta consider that the guy who's been selling tomato for a long time literally probably also just planted on his own and then he decided to sell. And there are other people who've got more experience in selling than you do, right? But you, because your, 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 your garden is small, you still take a lot of care. But the guy who's been selling for a long time, he doesn't take a lot of care because he's already got the people. People come to him to buy. So this analogy is where you are. You are a small garden. You got to decide whether you are just going to Make a song because it feels good for yourself, because that's what music does. Just as an FYI, I was just putting it out there. I was telling a friend of mine that I don't know how to play an instrument. So I came in here with a hash 101 star. Uh, in other words, I became a star through the hash. Um, and I'm, I said that I'm learning how to play the piano because I'm investing in myself in the next 20, 30 years when I can't jump on a microphone and, and not that I am right now, but I still got the energy right now. But just for one day when I can't jump and do what the damn thing, the real thing I care about is music. So I'm learning to play the piano because what stops me from composing when I'm 50 or 55? What stops me from listening to whatever the new genre is, if there's gonna be trap and now there's free, freedom, whatever they're gonna call it in the next 20 years. What stops me from having an ear and creating in the next 20 years? So with that being said though, while I'm doing that, I'm literally like planting the tomato and I'm eating it myself. I'm not planting the tomato and I'm selling it. So you guys gotta ask yourself firstly, when you are making music, are you making music or are you, when you are creating, are you creating so you could just feed your soul? So, you know, everything else in the world, you've got a nine to five, you hate it, but the music just frees you. You gotta firstly make the decide what music does for you before you actually go in the market and go, I wanna become a music business seller or product or artist or whatever under a label. Because a lot of people, are conflicted by the fact that they probably just want to plant the tomato and eat it themselves. But their friends hype them up, Ah, you're better than Slika, you're better than so-and-so, you, you, you need, they need to be playing you. So now because of all that pressure, you also feel that, yeah, maybe they should be playing you. But you know, maybe you don't want to be in the music business. Because you know, the people that want to be in the music business are not the most talented. The people that want to be in the music business are the, are work the hardest. They're the most aggressive, you know? So you got to ask yourself, where do you fit in? And if you are lucky and you do want to get into the mainstream and you do have a manager, and we're going to have a conversation about managers because that's another thing. If you want to have a manager that understands the business and you want to be the creative, 
in the world, there is things like that where you get guys like Scooter Braun who manage Abu Arian Grand, and that's what they really do. They manage, and the artist is the artist. But we still have a long way to go with that. So the first thing I want to do is that I wanted to use the analogy of the tomato. Before I get deep into this thing, in, your, in the back of your head, this conversation will be relevant based on what do you want to do? What are you doing in your garden? And once you know what you're doing in your garden, what value are you putting on that tomato? So now let's go back to history about music. And um, I stumbled over this information the other time, and it came to me again last night when I was reading something, which made me feel like, you know when someone talks about the music business, they talk about the type of contracts, they talk about, it becomes this big thing. Imagine you, you having, the last book that you read was in the classroom, and you were reading it because there was a comprehension, because you wanted to get marks, you know. You, most people don't read. Let's be 100. And then the next time when you have to pay attention to read from school is like when it's a contract. I know a lot of y'all don't read. Because even if there are libraries in the hood, a lot of y'all don't go. Because they've got the libraries next to, the, well, for us, the library is next door to the basketball court and the soccer field. So I had to go, Monday to Friday. I think I'm going to go play ball. Plus, you know, I mean, there's no, they, people, there's no sneakers. People don't talk about these sneakers in the library. They don't talk about, like, the new music. They don't talk about all the things that are happening in the library. So what the hell are you going to the library for? I'm just saying, you know, we could go as far as saying that there are more bottle stores than libraries, if they are libraries even. So the reality is that you move from that world of school to reading a contract, to someone, you remember the music thing, what they put is concepts of these are the type of deals that you have. So you are being moved not even from the contract, you're being moved from a concept. The concept is not related to what program you're using to make the music. It's not related to what notes you are playing when you're playing the music. Because that's another concept on its own. All of a sudden you are put in a space where there's another concept. It's the, A, the concept of, well, I'm not always reading. B, it's the concept of, well, I don't understand this world. Someone has been writing this world for a long time and writing and always filling up different terms in this contract. And you're just coming in cold turkey. So you get into this music industry, and when you get into it, it feels like, whoa, bro. I don't know how old you guys are, but um, there was this show that they used to have um, from Toys R Us. I mean, I don't think you're old enough, but some of y'all are. Um, but what used to happen is that guys, oh, or depending how old you really are and how black you really are, there was another guy called No Man. No Man used to run inside a pick and pay or a store or shop right, I don't know, with a trolley. And the mothers would literally direct No Man and go, no man, 10 left, the no man would literally pick up like sugar here and do that. So literally there were times the no man literally had to pick up all these things, as much groceries as he can, and the mother's directing her. Now, if you're a bit younger, then there's the Toys R Us version, where the Toys R Us version is like a kid literally had like a trolley, and you had to like pick up all the toys in a certain time. 
That's what the music business is when they come start throwing the concepts. It's so many things they're throwing at you, and you've got so little time to know it. And by the time you know it, it's three years in, and you're like, ah, they ripped me off. That's the reality, right? The thing about knowing it always ends happy. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Amp Studios Music Industry Podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after these. Here's how you can show your money who's boss with a little help from 22.7. You start by linking your accounts, which is safe and secure. The first thing you'll see is something you probably haven't been able to before. All your money stuff together. With your accounts, cards, investments, loans and rewards all in one place, you can see all your transactions, balances and your net value now and over time. Then, 22.7 automatically creates a personalized budget based on your actual spending. It sorts your transactions for you so you know exactly where your money goes. You can see what you usually spend, plan to spend, have already spent and have left to spend. That helps our customers make changes that save them hundreds or thousands almost immediately and every month. You can also invest that extra money tax-free at low cost and in minutes because it's 100% online. In fact, one customer invested while he was stuck in traffic. Then there are nudges, personalized hints and insights that show you things you didn't know about your money to help you use it better. To start managing your money more easily and investing it more smartly, sign up with 22.7 on the web, iOS or Android apps. Welcome back. Let's get back into this week's Amp Studios Music Industry Podcast. Let me break down the music business where it started. In the late 1800s, and you know, I'm, I'm doing this on purpose, so you understand where commercialization comes in. Because once you kind of understand where commercialization comes in, it starts explaining the concepts of publishing. It starts explaining the concepts of distribution. It starts explaining all these concepts. With everything that's complicated when you find it there, you always have to ask yourself, how did it start? Now, when you ask yourself, how did it start, you find that there's one person and whatever that thing was. So this guy called Thomas Edison, in the late 1800s, he created what they call a phonograph or whatever they call it, yeah? I don't know whether it's a phonograph, it's definitely not a pornograph, but like, <laughs> it's a phonograph. So what a phonograph is, it's literally like, um, it's like, it's like them old vinyls that you see in them old movies where like, there's like this big speaker that looks like a trumpet, like whatever, you know, and you could play that. Now, they were trying to literally commercialize selling this phonograph, right? But while they were trying to do that, music, wasn't, music was sold as cue sheets. So they were never selling music like, here's a song, whatever, whatever. You literally had to, someone was selling cue sheets, and a person would play the cue sheets like the piano, blah, 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 and then when they play that, they'd record it, and they'd play it on the phonograph, right? So with Thomas Edison and them, they were trying to sell the phonograph, but you know, they were struggling because it's this big piece of thing. And each phonograph literally has its own song. So for you to get different songs, you got to buy different phonographs, right? It doesn't make sense. It's too bulked in. So what happens is that someone figures it out later on. Cue sheets, remember, cue sheets is how you're selling a record these, the, this time. It's just a piece of paper. So music was music. You had to know the notes. So what happens is that... Um, Someone figures out that, like, wait, what if we sell 
the thing inside the phonograph. And we make different versions of that. Now, Thomas Edison is out of this, and the label Columbia, which has been the longest existing label out in the market. I'm sure you know Columbia. Um, they were also involved, they were also involved in like buying this buying into this idea in the late 1800s of the phonograph. So someone decides, hey, there's something that we could play. They never called it even a vinyl then, but it was sort of a vinyl type of thing, which now you can play different ones. And then what happens is that this thing starts becoming the thing that people start selling. So people are still selling cue sheets, and at the same time, they also, and, and at the same time, playing, playing these cue sheets, and now you can have different songs from these cue sheets, right? So that's the commercialization of music, and what, what these guys who are called publishers do, publishers start hiring people who can write on cue sheets, right? So they start hiring people who can write on cue sheets, and they hire them with it like it's a job. And then, but publishers own the rights to what you've written. And then they give them to artists to also start singing. So the artists then start singing these songs, and the artists also kind of get paid something for singing, but the, or maybe the artist also gets signed as an artist deal or whatever the case be. So essentially, there's already three phases of it. There's the publisher. The publisher hires the writer, and the writer writes. Because a lot of people literally, like I said, the greatest musicians don't have the greatest talent. The greatest people were the writers who literally were commissioned to write, and then the publisher said, Thank you, here's your salary, boom. Singer, you're the one that looks good for this, and you sound good for that. That's how that happens, right? Now, after World War I, um, yeah, I'm giving you the history lesson. It's real, right? It's not what you came here for, but you got you go, you to know where this shit started so you know how to, how, where you fit in. It's like, it's, like, it's like with your ancestors. You got to know your ancestors so you know why you are weak, strong, whatever. All these, things, all these things are connected. History is very important. So what happens now after World War I, um, the cue sheet starts dying out. And also, to a certain extent, these vinyls, they not really like have the best quality because the radio starts coming in. So radio starts becoming a factor. I mean, radio only started popping commercial radio like early 1920s, right? So commercial radio starts popping in early 1920s. When commercial radio starts popping in, this is what happens with, with, with radio and records. Records now are selling, but radio doesn't have music, right? So now you find there's a company called CBS, one of the companies, CBS. CBS start collaborating with the Columbias of the world because now they're labels who are selling these vinyls or whatever. So now they start collaborating and they, become, they start becoming like, one company or whatever, and all this establishment of EMI, all these things start happening around then. Now, all of a sudden, when, they are, when the top 10 literally like has, of the most played songs, is, is out there, it's songs that the relationship between a Columbia, we're gonna use Columbia as an example, slash EMI and CBS, the top 10 are only the artists that these guys have created. Now, this starts creating the power of what we know as the major. So, this whole conversation where you guys, where people go, yeah, you know, major radio work together, it's not a far-fetched concept because this is how radio became successful. In order for people to keep listening to radio, the guys who create the music had to collaborate and they merged and they formed like companies together. 
Now here comes the disruption. Here comes the underdogs. All the time when the charts come out, this is like the 1940s, 50s. All the time when the charts come out, the top 10 is always an artist that Columbia knows and CBS knows. Meaning that it's one of the artists in this affiliation. And this is when Abu Frank Sinatra and them are killing it with the jazz, you know? But in the background, there's this thing called rock and roll that's disruptive. Rock and roll is like rap music, trap music at the same time. They're like, yo, man, forget that rock and roll stuff. That's some old, that, that, that's, that's, that's a fad. Now, this is the birth of the indies. Because the majors literally like go, nah, we've got it figured out. You know, this Frank Sinatra type of music, this stuff is going to be going on forever. But what rock and roll is doing is speaking to young people. So, you know, the Frank Sinatras are like, um, are like, I would say, in our time, maybe if we had to say, like, um, who was a dope rapper in my time? Maybe let's say a dope rapper in my time was Ja Rule, right? <laughs> Just so we broad, you know? <laughs> you know? Um, ja Rule, 50 Cent, Jay-Z. I mean, I don't think that the kids today relate to Ja Rule, 50 Cent, or Jay-Z. They don't. So what Frank Sinatra and them become, they become like Ja Rule and Jay-Z for the kids who start gravitating to rock and roll. So because the kids, and I keep saying this, the kids literally hold the world like this. When the kids say this is what's happening, you better know that's where the future's going, you know? So because the kids are now holding rock and roll like this, all of a sudden, these charts start having names that like the Columbias and the radios and the CBSs of the world don't know. How? Who are these guys? We thought this was a fad. All these guys, these rock and roll guys, and I'm also trying to manage your concept of I'm independent, I'm independent. Ain't nothing new about that. Been happening. So what happens is that like um, these rock and roll guys literally like start disrupting. They start disrupting, and, and, and I'm, I must say, yes, don't worry. When I say rock and roll, mostly black music, black rock and roll, right? So be comfortable with it. <laughs> um, and obviously, because of that, you know, like I must add that guys like Elvis Presley started copying that thing. And, you know, I say it even today. If I get a, a beatboxer from Soita and a beatboxer from Bryanston, literally, like, you know, it's always dope when someone who is not expected from a culture does something well from a culture he doesn't belong in. And they normally give those guys the, the money. But the point is that rock and roll comes in, and when rock and roll comes in, these guys from these labels start seeing these charts, and they're like, yo, damn, who are these guys? What are these guys? Now this makes the, the indies kind of start coming in. The independents now are doing well without any support from the majors. The majors, remember, it's always been about survival. The majors, the majors who were small in the beginning go, well, when we were selling records on our own, in order for us to survive, we, collab we merged with radio. And radio said, in order for us to be relevant, we merged with music. Now they're going, hmm, if we don't switch up, we won't be around. 
we need to start getting into this rock and roll. So they don't start getting into rock and roll by creating their own rock and roll groups. They go to the guys that are successful and they start buying those guys out. Then those guys move from independent to major. As all this is unfolding, it's literally, it's literally in a way writing the future of how majors are going to exist for the next 100 years. Because Columbia has been around for like over 100 years right now. EMI has been around for, for like maybe like 80, 90 years right now, right? And you ask yourself if our local labels or independent labels, you hardly see them surviving for more than three or four years, right? So what these guys did through the art of collaboration, through the art of data, data seeing that, hey, these guys are interrupting us in the billboards. What are we doing? Maybe it's worth our while to start buying into that. Then they buy into that. Essentially, this is how the longevity of majors stays. Where majors now don't even need to develop you. All majors need to do, they need to look at the data and go, what's the new genre that's popping? Or is it hip-hop? Or is it kwaito? Or is it house? Or is it this? And then they go, call the guys that are leading it. We've got the checks to sign them in. Right? This is how this industry that you want to get into was developed. It was developed through collaboration, through merging, obviously, and through data that informed how they moved. And for every one of these layers, if the contract started with one page, there was another three pages added. If the contract started with three, there was another three pages. So it started, so just to be, just to be precise, it started with publishers, it started with cue sheets, which your people still write music. Your cue sheets right today are your lyrics, so even whatever you've written uh, that people are playing, right? It started with like the guys who are literally trying to sell the vinyl, the record. It started with the radio. And now all of a sudden, obviously when TV comes in, where do we take this stuff? We take it to television, which is very much the relationship that's the same because it's the same companies that also own some of the networks, right? Globally, not in South Africa specifically. So you see all those things. When you get in a deal with anybody of these guys, with any one of these guys, you're getting into a layer of this type of history. <laughs> you know what I mean? That means that if you are going to go walk into a deal and the last thing you're thinking of is the contract and what the contract looks like, because like the local labels are all affiliates of the global labels, that means that you're ignoring the history of why you've got the contract you have in front of you. So I'm hoping that like giving you context of, of where the music industry comes from, you got to see it as a small thing that started from one small thing and evolved. And it took almost like 120 years for it to get to where it is today. That was part one of this Amp Studios Masterclass. Tune in next week to hear part two on the Amp Studios Music Industry Podcast. It's brought to you by Old Mutual. I hope you're learning a lot and loving the series. Music has changed. How it makes us feel never will. The time is now to visit ampstudios.co.za.